0: Well, good morning. Um, We're going to be reading from Luke chapter 13, verses 10 to 17, so starting at verse 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days and not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites!
1: Well, again, can I say good morning. It's great to see you um, if you're here in person and uh, to you who are tuning in online as well. Now, some of you know that we recently moved back to Lancaster after three years away at Bible College down in London. And we were part of a church family there who, it would be fair to say, uh, had an average uh, higher age than our church family here. And that had some great benefits We could watch and learn from many older Christians who were serving Jesus faithfully and joyfully right to the end of their lives. There was one lady there who's in her 90s now and at one point last year she had to go into hospital because she was unwell. They treated her for her illness and she was able to come out of hospital and as she walked into her house with her son and daughter-in-law after the hospital visit she turned and said to them I just want to go home. Well, her son thought perhaps she was losing her memory a bit and said, Mom, you you are home. And she said to him, no, not this home. I want to go home. I want to be home with my Lord Jesus. Now, I wonder, as you hear that story, whether you can resonate with that at all, a, a longing to be home, not here on earth, but with Jesus in glory. As I said before, we're about to go into a local lockdown um, in our city on Tuesday. And it's a reminder to us that this deadly virus hasn't gone away. There will be more lives lost, more grief, more sadness, more suffering. We might consider our own church family as we pray our way through the partnership directory. And we realise just how much our brothers and sisters are suffering. Anxiety, depression, cancer. Loneliness, brokenness, grief. And so, as we turn to this passage in Luke, we do so painfully aware of our broken world, our broken bodies, our broken minds. And we wonder if Jesus has anything to say. Can he heal this suffering? Can he put things right? Can we trust him to remake a broken world? Our friend in London knew that she was going home and she knew that that home was better than this one. And that's the hope that I pray we would all share as we hear God's word today. So why don't I pray for us as we come to God's word. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, in the midst of this brokenness, we pray for you to speak clearly to us this morning. Please remind us that we are right to place our confidence in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And pleased would our longing be for the new world that he will one day bring about. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let's turn to our passage, please. Um, Have a Bible open in front of you if you've got one with you. Um, And we're going to look at this story. It's a story of a, a crippled woman who meets Jesus. But this story reveals something bigger. It reveals God's plan to restore this whole created order. Let's start with our first point, a woman set free. We meet this woman in verses 10 and 11, look at those with me. On a Sabbath Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. In Luke's gospel we often find Luke slowing down as he tells us about a person in the story and he does so here doesn't he? Here's a woman who is in the synagogue listening to Jesus as He teaches the people, and she's clearly a woman who knows about suffering. She's crippled and bent over, unable to straighten her back and stand up. We can imagine her, can't we, hunched over as she sort of shuffles into the synagogue. She's been like this for 18 years, 18 long years of crippling illness. But she's a believer. That's clear from the way Jesus describes her later in this passage. She's a a daughter of Abraham. She's someone who listens to the word of God. And notice with me how Jesus responds to her when he sees her coming into the synagogue in verse 12. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. As Jesus looks at the people in this synagogue, he sees this woman and her suffering doesn't cause him to turn away. It causes him to draw closer. It stirs him to compassion and care. One writer says this about Jesus. When Jesus Christ sees the fallenness of the world all about him, his deepest impulse, his most natural instinct is to move toward that sin and suffering, not away from it. And we see a glimpse of that compassion here, don't we? He calls this woman forward in front of everyone and heals her openly and publicly. He tells her she's healed. He lays his hands on her and immediately she straightens up. Imagine the feeling for this poor woman. I get frustrated after a few days with a a sore back. She's had 18 long years of crippling illness. But now she stands up straight and tall. And you see the first thing she does? She knows that she's just witnessed the work of God and so she praises him in verse 13. God is at work here through Jesus to restore her to health again. Here we have a reminder of the power and compassion of the Lord Jesus, the glorious son of God who notices and helps needy people like this woman. He's able and willing to put right what is broken but there's more going on here in these verses, and I wonder if you, you noticed that as we read through them. Her illness and this healing is described in quite unusual ways. Look, look first at verse 11. Do you see that this woman is not just described as ill or crippled, but crippled by a spirit? And Jesus doesn't tell her in verse 12 that she's made well, but that she is set free. It's not the language we'd use to describe a healing, is it? If we're sick and we get better, we don't go around telling people that we've been set free. We say that we're we're now well again. There's more going on here than Jesus displaying his power and compassion. This woman is in a bond from which she must be freed. This woman's illness is described spiritually as well as physically, if I can put it like that. Her suffering and restoration has a, a spiritual aspect to it. Now, if we jump ahead to verse 16, we'll be able to fill this out a little bit more. Look at how Jesus describes her in verse 16. She's someone whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years. We're supposed to see that this crippling illness was in some sense a work of Satan. It was his work to keep her bound for 18 years. It was him who was preventing her from standing up straight. It was his work to keep her in bondage. It helps us to rethink this story, doesn't it? And to rethink what Je- Jesus is doing here is he heals this woman. As Jesus speaks to her and puts his hands on her, he's engaged in a battle with the evil one. He's waging war against the stronghold of Satan. This healing in an unknown synagogue with an unnamed crippled woman is a moment when Satan loses his hold. I'm sure you've got lots of questions about that, and we're going to think more about it as we, as we move through our passage. But I want to introduce you to another conflict that's rumbling on here in the synagogue. Jesus is engaged in a spiritual conflict with Satan. He's also engaged in a human conflict with the religious leaders. I wonder if you remember the context for this chapter. At the end of chapter 12, Jesus urged the people to understand the times that they were living in. The coming of Jesus is the fulfilment of all of God's plans and purposes that are there in the Old Testament. He's bringing about God's kingdom and calling people to repent and to be saved. And the question came up um, in that context. Will the Jewish nation respond rightly? Will they interpret the signs and accept Jesus for who he is? Will they bear fruit in the language of chapter 12? Well, let's look at verse 14. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The ruler sees the miracle, but he fails to interpret the times. And his issue is that Jesus has healed on the Sabbath. Now you might know that the Sabbath day was the high point and still is the high point in the Jewish weekly calendar. In the Old Testament, God set aside the Sabbath day as a holy day for his people. I want to read you some some verses from Deuteronomy chapter 5. Here God gives his people um, the Ten Commandments, and this is what he says about the Sabbath. He says, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your your male or female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. The command seems clear, doesn't it? It's the Sabbath day, therefore no work. Not for men, women, children, servants, or even animals. The uh, the synagogue ruler whose job it is to know these scriptures and to teach this law thinks that Jesus is deliberately and blatantly disobeying a clear command of God. There are six other days in the week where the people can come and be healed. Not on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a day of rest. Now Jesus has already clashed with the synagogue rulers on this point with the the Jewish leaders in chapter 6. There he reminded them that the Sabbath day is a day to do good, not evil. It's a day to save life, not destroy it. This day has been given for the good of God's people. It's also a day to remember and rejoice in God's rescue. Let me read um, the next verse that I didn't read from Deuteronomy chapter 5, again about the Sabbath. God says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out from there, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. The Sabbath is a day to remember that the Lord has rescued them from slavery. It's a day to remember freedom and restoration. It's a day to rejoice and to worship their God. So you're starting to see that this synagogue ruler has got things um, completely wrong. He would rather this woman remain in slavery bound in her suffering in order to preserve a law that was meant for her good. And we see in the next verse that the leader doesn't even keep the law that he's so keen for Jesus to keep. Look at verse 15. The Lord answers him, You hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has kept bound for 18 long years be set free on the sabbath day from what bound her do you see Jesus argument the people are perfectly happy to take care of their own to untie their ox or donkey on the sabbath they don't mind leading out to the water trough to make sure their animal is refreshed and restored but they don't care nearly as much about this woman Jesus shows their hypocrisy with a deliberate play on words here. That word untie in verse 15 is the same word for set free in verse 16. They set free their donkey on the Sabbath, but they don't want this woman to be set free. They care about their animals who have been bound for a few short hours. But they don't care about this woman who has been bound for 18 long years. They want to do good to their livestock whilst this poor woman is kept in bondage. But Jesus values her rightly. She is a daughter of Abraham, one of God's beloved children. Jesus himself knows the extent of her suffering. Each long year is known to him. And he has come to restore her and to fulfill the true purpose of God's Sabbath to bring rest and restoration and freedom for the people of God. So this passage is about a woman set free to worship God. It's about her suffering dealt with by Jesus. It's about his compassion shown to needy people. But are you beginning to see that it's about much more than that? In the story of a woman set free, Jesus shows us that he has come to set the whole world free. And this is our second point, a world set free. When we moved back to Lancaster in July, we, we started to see that the local builders have been quite busy. Um, new university buildings, um, new homes, new developments, uh, new student accommodation popping up all over the place, which is about to be, about to be filled and I'm sure you've seen on some of these developments that they sometimes build and finish at one house to show people what the rest of the site will look like. You can go into these show homes and you can look around. You can try the tap and the shower and check the appliances and uh, do whatever else you do when you're buying a new house. And you get a sense then of what the whole site will be like. What would it be like to live here? Well, you, you get a picture in that one house. There is one finished article A picture of completion and restoration. And one day you know that the whole building site will be restored. And it's a bit like that, isn't it, with the coming of Jesus. We see here in Luke 13 a glimpse of a world made new. A show home in the wreckage. A foretaste of a world restored. It's interesting that in last week's passage, suffering was a warning about future judgement. Here, this suffering and brokenness in our world points us forward to a world restored. And we see that in this passage in two main ways. Firstly, in the defeat of Satan. We've already started to think about this, haven't we, with the, the crippled woman. When Jesus heals her from her illness, he releases her from Satan's power. Suffering and Satan are connected in these verses. And that connection has been a real challenge to me this week. If you'd have asked me at the start of the week, Joe, why is there suffering in the world? Then my answer would have been sin. There's suffering because there's sin. And I haven't changed my mind about that. We're suffering the consequences of human rebellion against God. This world is broken because our relationship with our creator is broken. But I've got another answer to that question now um, that I've studied this passage Yes, there's suffering because of sin, but there's also suffering because of Satan. Think back with me to Genesis chapter 3. There in the Garden of Eden, Satan tempted Adam and Eve to sin against God. And that temptation caused an avalanche of evil and suffering and death. Yes, we're responsible for our rebellion against God, but this rebellion was also a work of Satan. He himself wanted it. He wanted people to turn from God and to suffer the consequences of their sin. We've seen something of his evil, haven't we, in this passage. Satan willingly keeping a crippled woman bound for 18 years. That's his work. Now this raises a question for us about suffering today. Are we to think of all suffering as in some sense the work of Satan? I want to be cautious here and, and careful in, in what I say. Yes, in some way, Satan is involved in all suffering, isn't he? Because he provoked mankind's rebellion in Genesis chapter 3. We also see in places like Job chapter 2 that God allows Satan some degree of authority to cause Job to suffer. But then again, we could easily be overly anxious or overly concerned about the work of Satan, attributing every stubbed toe or grazed knee or aching back to his influence. And there are strands of Christianity that seem to focus more on the work of Satan than they do on the work of Jesus. It's fair to say, I think, that the Bible um, doesn't answer all our questions about the work of Satan. He's often left on the edges of God's revelation. But God does give us exactly what we need to know. And he does that by focusing us on the work of the Lord Jesus. We have nothing to fear if we're safe in him. We see that in our verses. Jesus has an obvious and total control over Satan. Now, many of the books we read and the the films we watch, there's a struggle, isn't there, between the forces of good and the forces of evil. If I can just talk to the children who are listening in at the moment. I wonder if you've seen the show... Poor Patrol, and maybe some of the adults here have seen the show, Poor Patrol as well. And in Paw Patrol, the, the patrol struggle against the kitten catastrophe crew. Or think about Simba in his epic battle with Scar at the end of The Lion King. Or multiply the examples to countless films that you've seen. In these stories, there's often a clash between the forces of good and the forces of evil. One mighty battle where evil is crushed and good prevails. But notice how Jesus reveals his authority. Over Satan. It's in a place you least expect it. He says he shows compassion to a crippled woman. No mighty clash, no power of Satan to oppose Jesus. With gentle words and a loving hand, he frees this woman from the grip of her oppressor. And that's a pattern we see in Jesus' final victory over Satan in his death. And resurrection, a victory that is accomplished in the most unexpected of places. The next time Satan is mentioned is in Luke um, chapter 22. There he enters Judas so that Judas would go on to betray Jesus. In one last effort to be rid of God's king and to throw off God's rule, Satan succeeds in sentencing the son of God to death. But it is in that death, in the place we'd least expect, that Jesus claims his victory over Satan. No longer can Satan bind the people of God because he himself is now bound. As our sin is punished and our rebellion dealt with and God's anger poured out on his son, those who trust in Jesus are released from Satan's hold. He has no claim over us, no sin that he can accuse us of because it has all been taken by Jesus. Jesus shames and defeats Satan through his own shame and death on a cross. This passage is a show home that reveals this kingdom of God. A world where people are set free from the bond of Satan. But the other way this passage shows us a world set free is the way it describes to us God's Sabbath. Five times in these verses, Luke reminds us that this is happening on a Sabbath day, and when a, a writer in the Bible tells you something five times, you to think this is important. Now, throughout the Old Testament, God revealed that a new Sabbath day was coming. Not just a day a week where we can rest from work, but an eternal Sabbath rest in a restored creation where we can know God and enjoy the purpose for which we were created. And this passage gives us a glimpse of that eternal Sabbath rest. We see a woman set free to praise God, free from her suffering. We see a picture of a world where everything broken is fixed. Where everything wrong is put right and where we can enjoy um, a life with our loving God. Now the Sabbath day. This promised Sabbath day has already begun with the resurrection of Jesus. He rose as the first fruits of this new world. A world characterised by life and not by death. And if you're a believer in Jesus this morning, then you've got one foot in that new world. You have died and risen with Christ and are now a new creation in him. You can and do know God now and enjoy God now with sins forgiven and death defeated. And yet you also know and and you experience this every day that there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. We're not there yet. There remains a day when we will know God perfectly and see him in glory and praise him joyfully and enjoy him completely. There remains a day when suffering will cease and sin will be cast off and Satan will be cast down. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. I wonder if you see the show home. Do you see the kingdom of God revealed in this passage? Do you see the cosmic work of the Lord Jesus Christ? He came to set this world free, to crush Satan, and to bring in a new age through his death and resurrection. Will you delight in him? Will you delight in his work like the people do in verse 17? Delight in all the wonderful things that he has done. Well, in our last bit of time together, I want to return to that idea I began with, the idea of longing for home. As I said at the beginning, there are many in our church family, and perhaps people listening here, people listening online, who have known suffering and who know it now. And I want us to think about that for a minute. How does a passage like this help a suffering Christian? Someone who has a foot in our world of brokenness and sin, but also a foot in the new world, of freedom and restoration. Well, I suppose one possible reading of this passage is to say that if Jesus healed this woman here, then he can heal me now. Now, it's right to say that God can and does heal people. He does answer prayer. He does make sick people well. But he has never promised to do that for every believer all over the world every time we pray. If we teach that or if we believe that, then it will only lead us to despair. Just imagine with me, if you're not healed, then we wonder, have we prayed enough or trusted God enough? If we're not healed, then we wonder, is God really good like he says he is? Do you see how that kind of teaching just robs us of our assurance and undermines our confidence in the work of Jesus? Because we're left doubting who God is. Instead, this passage helps us in our suffering because it teaches us to look towards and long for our true home. Everything needed to bring about a perfect, restored world with perfectly restored people has already been achieved by the Lord Jesus. Every assurance we need that this world will be put right and that every brokenness will be mended and um, every wrong thing um, made good again has been given to us in the cross and resurrection of Jesus. Every guarantee that Satan's power has been crushed, his authority ended, is provided for us in the victory of Christ at the cross. And so if you're listening and you're, you're not a Christian, come to Jesus. He has done all that we need to be restored and rescued and forgiven. And if you are a Christian, then know that the Christian life now is one of groaning, but also longing. We should groan more than those who don't know Jesus because we know where this world is heading, don't we? We know that this is not how things should be and it's not how things will be when Jesus comes to restore all things. And so are you someone who longs to be home? Do you pray that your own suffering and the suffering of those in your church family and the suffering of those in our world would serve to deepen our longing for a world restored? Do you walk through the door of your house at the end of a long day and say, how I wish I was home? This passage is full of hopeful longing that the Lord Jesus has and will set the world free. Let me end by reading some words from a a song we sing at church. Uh, They'll be on the screen as well. As I read, why don't you reflect on them in your own heart and make them your own. There is a hope that stands the test of time, that lifts my eyes beyond the beckoning grave to see the matchless beauty of a day divine when I behold his face, when sufferings cease and sorrows die And every longing satisfied, then joy unspeakable will flood my soul, for I am truly home. Let me give you a moment to reflect on those words and what we've heard in God's word, and then I'll lead us in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we long for the day when sufferings cease and sorrows die, when joy will flood our souls and we find ourselves home with you in a restored new creation. Heavenly Father, if there's anyone listening now who hasn't yet turned to the Lord Jesus, anyone who doesn't know this hope for themselves, please would they cast themselves on the compassion of Christ, turning from their sin and trusting in his death and resurrection. And Father, for those of us, many of us who are groaning under suffering, please keep us rooted in all that Christ has done, knowing that a new world is coming soon. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.